Hello, and welcome to the Queen's Observatory Fast Radio Bursts. I am Connor Stone, here with my co-host, Nikhil Aurora. It is our mission to bring exciting space news hot off the telescope and into your ears. One way or another, the Queen's Observatory has continued its practice of sharing the wonders of the universe since 1857. Thank you for joining us in this long-running tradition. Here at Fast Radio Bursts, we will answer your questions, interview astronomers, and dive deep into breaking research. From low Earth orbit to the clouds of Venus, from Betelgeuse to colliding black holes, it's a big universe to talk about, so let's get started. And welcome back. I'm Connor Stone, here with my co-host, Nikki Larora. Hi, Nick. Hi, Connor. How are you doing today? I'm good, and excited to be back, continuing our future missions series. Yeah. Uh, we took a bit of a long break. Some unforeseen circumstances made it so we couldn't record the podcasts, but we have still been pretty busy. The observatory now offers a virtual tour program, so uh, schools, camps, they can book the observatory virtually for Stellarium tours, where we show them the night sky from home. Uh, yeah. These are a lot of fun. Get to talk about all sorts of neat space space stuff, and there's never any clouds, so it actually works pretty well. Yeah, another advantage is that generally school tours would come in during the day, and so all they would be able to see if there were no clouds in the sky would be the sun. But with this virtual tour, we can really explore the night sky and see a whole variety of objects rather than just the sun, which is still exciting, but the more the better. Yeah. And speaking of the sun, it's been getting a little more exciting lately. So I think that's yeah. a good segue to our space news. So mm -hmm. so yeah, we should start with solar flares. Uh, the sun has had some really big flares recently. It's nice to see it coming out of its minima and starting to have some interesting activity. Sunspots, yeah. flares. Uh, the people who probably aren't excited about that is anyone with a satellite. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> because those those can be interfered with by the apparently solar flares. There, apparently there was a small radio blackout um, with the last solar flare on July 5th or something as well. I would believe that. Yeah. They're very energetic. Yeah. It's a good thing we've got um, Earth protecting us down here. Exactly. In other space news, um, Virgin Galactic has made made it up to American space. Uh, so the generally recognized boundary of space is 100 kilometers above the surface of the Earth. In America, it's about 80 kilometers. And Virgin Galactic, led by Richard Branson, has made it up to the American space limit. With And they're going to start their space tourism, Yeah, which is, which is pretty exciting. Yeah, about like 600 people from 58 different nations have signed up to be tourists on them and this includes like matt damon brad pitt and like big names like that big names so, yeah that's that's yeah. fun this is I definitely opening to, i would certainly want to go up but like after a million other people have it it's very <laughs> safe yeah this is certainly opening an avenue of, of of a new kind of tourism and you can see that a day after 600 people have already signed up um how how eager we are all to travel in any way shape or form it's the final After. frontier. It's yeah. exciting. Um, other news, Ingenuity. We talked about that in one of our previous podcasts. It's the uh, drone that's on Mars. It's successfully flown several times. So well done, Ingenuity. Yeah. Um, flying around lets us see a lot more of Mars very quickly, which is always exciting. Also on Mars, China's uh, Zhurong rover 
apologies if the pronunciation isn't exact, uh, has landed successfully and taken a whole bunch of excellent pictures. It's been really neat to see those coming out. So well done, China. Yeah. Okay. So um, that's our that's our space news for now, and we should head back to JWST for to close off this two part episode. So it's it's been a while. You may want to go back and listen to the other one. In the last episode, we talked about the JWST mission science goals. Today, we're going to talk a bit about the technology of JWST. So a little bit more of the specifics. And at our next episode, we will finish off our future space missions podcast series. And we will talk about the Dragonfly mission, which is a neat mission, unlike any of the others we've talked about. So that will be very fun. And after that, our ultra-fast radio burst series will move on to a new series about dangerous things in space, which is always fun to talk about because everything in space is dangerous. Yep. Um, but you'll see when we get there, we're going to talk about some real dangerous stuff. <laughs> so, Nick, uh, how about you recap the last episode so that we can build on that for today's episode? Absolutely. Yeah. So... <clears throat> Yeah, this is going to be a little quick. So as Connor already mentioned, if you want to get into a little bit of a depth, um, do go back and listen to what part when uh, as well. So JWST, standing for James Webb Space Telescope, is an infrared observatory. It's an infrared telescope. Um, by infrared, what I mean is that it looks for heat signatures in the universe, basically. Um, infrared is a part of uh, electromagnetic radiation or light, and it can tell us some interesting things about the universe. Um, a lot, it, it is going to be something that accompanies HST. Um, so JWST is essentially being built on the shoulders of everything that Hubble Space Telescope, HST, has actually discovered or seen up until now. It's because of a uh, Hubble Space Telescope that we now think we need something like the JWST. And so JWST is, we titled our episode, A Telescope for the Past. Um, and that's mainly because of the fact that JWST is going to be able to look back further back into the universe, almost to its beginnings, um, and see how certain components of the universe actually formed. So something like the first stars, how did they come into existence and, and what was going on around them and what shaped galaxies um, when they first actually assemble are certain, some of the certain questions that JWST wants to answer. And finally, no telescope, no astronomical uh, mission is fulfilled without a talk of alien or life on another planet. And so JWST is also going to be coming closer to home, not so far away in the past, but look for, uh, just study exoplanets and what what kind of conditions might be required in the atmosphere and in the planet itself to, to sustain life um, as well. So those are some of the big goals of JWST. Lots yeah. of very exciting stuff coming out and certainly, yeah. JWST is really going to show everyone that telescopes are time machines. We yeah, absolutely. We can use them to look far into the past. Yeah. Okay. So that's our recap for JWST. Lots of cool stuff that they're going to do. And if that's what you are interested in, watch the part one episode or listen. You don't watch a podcast, do you? Uh, we could so. live stream it, but no, we don't. <laughs> so... Uh, first thing to talk about, the technologies for JWST, uh, how do you get it there? That's really, that's the first problem you have to solve is getting JWST 
up in yeah. this space. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so I mean, the it's it's not that hard. Um, I mean, in the sense to answer such a question like this, put it in a rocket, ship it up, and you're done. Um, so currently, JWST is scheduled to be launched in November 2021. Now, I think we talked about or we hinted about this in the last episode as well. But if you track sort of the history of JWST as a, as a telescope, it has gone through a lot of postponement in the launch. And that is because of where in space, we're going to come back to this in a minute, but where in space this is going, you can't really go up there and fix things. So we want to make really sure that not even a single bolt gets um, um, gets moved from its place. And that's why there have been so many different um, postponements. But currently the change or the current schedule is November 2021. And it's going to, so, okay, go for it, Connor. So, so yeah, let's hope JWST doesn't follow in Hubble's footsteps with needing some repairs in order to work properly. Nope. Let's very well hope that does not happen because if that happens, that's a few billion dollars gone into the drain because you can't get up there. Absolutely. Um, yeah. So JWST is a worldwide mission. It is, I mean, it's being led by NASA, but a lot of the countries across the world um, are actually contributing. And one of those countries or a region or a collection of countries is Europe. Um, and so one of the contributions of Europe is to lend the rocket that will actually carry JWST out of Earth into orbit. And so this is well, the Ariane. Sorry, go they're not They're not lending it so much as giving it. <laughs> giving it away, yes, absolutely. Um, um, so this is the Ariane 5 rocket um, that will launch J JWST. Um, and one of the interesting things about the launch of JWST and the reason why we wanted to talk about the launch is where it is going to be launched. So most NASA missions get uh, get launched out of Cape Canaveral in Florida. Um, but this particular one is going to be launched from French Guiana, um, a spaceport called near Kourou, French Guyana. Now, this is a lot closer to the equator compared to Cape Canaveral. And there's a reason for that. And the reason is that because JWST is traveling to a place like um, L2, which we're going to come back in a minute, um, it needs some extra help along with the rockets that it already has. And so what we're actually going to do is we're going to give it help by the means of the Earth. So if you're closer to the Earth equator and you launch the rocket in the direction of the spin of the Earth, you can actually get a boost from the Earth to be able to fly, to be able to escape Earth's gravitational pull easily. And so it's that's- It's not small either. No, it's not. It, it comes out to be about 1600 kilometers an hour. Um, so that kind of a speed um, is, what kind of, is the push that JWST is gonna get. And I thought that was an interesting thing. Um, so one thing that this shows you is that not a minuscule thing about a mission like this goes unplanned. So where we are launching from also has a significance as well. Well, they take advantage of everything they can. Lots of smart people at NASA. <laughs> <laughs> yep, absolutely. All right. So you mentioned that it's going to the L2 point or the Lagrange 2 point. Yeah. So where is that and why do we want to go there? Let's okay. start with where. Okay, so the L2 point is about 1.5 million kilometers away um, from the Earth. Um, and 
it is, it's an interesting place. So if you think about something like the Hubble or the International Space Station, both of these um, objects are actually orbiting the Earth, but the L2 point is not, or where JWST is gonna go, is not gonna really orbit the Earth. It's also gonna orbit the sun, but it's gonna orbit the sun in sort of synchronicity with the Earth. So it's gonna follow the Earth around the sun and essentially do its work there. Um, just as a reference, because 1.5 million kilometers um, is not really that intuitive, just as a reference, this, uh, the moon is about 380 kilometers away from us. 380,000 kilometers. 380,000 kilometers, yes, sorry. Um, I forgot about that. 380,000 kilometers away from us. So this is going about five times further away um, than the moon. And that's why I was saying that if something goes wrong, you're not going there to fix it at all. It's impossible. Um, and now there's, so just to get to L2 is gonna take roughly 30 days for, for JWST from its launch. Um, and this is gonna be quite a crunch time for um, the scientists involved, but because JWST is essentially an origami folded piece of equipment that is gonna unravel itself and come into shape while it's actually traveling to L2. And so these 30 days are gonna be quite, um, as I say, freaky to say the least. Um, well, it's pretty neat because it had to fit inside the rocket while it was being yeah. launched or it will have to fit inside the rocket, but we want it as big as possible. Bigger telescopes are better. So yeah. it, it, as you said, origami unfolds itself into this larger telescope than could yeah. have fit Absolutely. inside the rocket. So I, one thing I will recommend, and maybe this is sort of the backdrop doing a podcast, but and we can't really have visual, visual illustrations, and we're going to put all of this information into show notes, but do take advantage of our show notes and actually go and look at some of the pictures from NASA as to how the fold, folded up JWST is going to be inside the rocket, and once, it, once it's up there, how it's going to actually open up um, into its actual shape and size. So yeah, that's the point. So the, um, another, so that's that, um, that's the Lagrange point, but the Lagrange point is actually special for another reason. One of the things that you will notice if you go back and listen to our first episode on this is we already talked about the L2 or the second Lagrange point, and we talked, to the, talked about it with respect to are there any other things out there? And it turns out there are telescopes out there. And the majority of those telescopes are also infrared telescopes like the JWST. Um, so it turns out we have some sort of a affinity to putting infrared telescopes out in L2. And that's because of why L2 is so special. If you orient your telescope properly at the L2, you get protection um, from the sun, the heat coming from the sun, earth, and the moon. And so... Why is it that you'd want to protect yourself from the sun in order to observe in the infrared? Yeah. So we started this um, episode by sort of describing what infrared is. And we also went in depth in the last episode as well. Infrared is essentially heat. You can think of it as heat emitted by objects naturally. And JWST's main job is to really look at this heat from the universe. But because the universe is very, very cold in general, um, the signal coming from the universe is very faint. So if you have something as bright as or as hot as the sun, or even the Earth or the moon, by the way, which are also big heat sources, 
um, you're not going to be able to observe a lot of the things in the universe. Um, and that's why you kind of need protection from the Earth, Moon, and the Sun, which are known sources of heat. Um, and so JWST being at L2 is going to be able to do it, but also the sun shield on JWST is going to help it to be not as hot as that, as the sun actually. So you're going to have the sun shield looking towards the sun, whereas the electronics and all of the important things are going to be kept cool so that they actually operate at negative 220 degrees Celsius in, in, in temperature. Um, which is freakishly cold, by the way. And so that's kind of the thing that you need um, to be able to observe in for in the infrared. So yeah, we also have infrared, just as a side note, we also have infrared telescopes here on Earth and the same principle applies here as well. And But we can't, of course, cool things down to negative 220 degrees Celsius in a feasible way um, to observe long nights of, uh, uh, infrared observing. So what we actually do is we actually just put the sensors which are making the observations into liquid helium, which is also pretty cold um, to be able to observe those things. Even colder than that. Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, so that's the reason why L2 was chosen as as the place for JWST. All right. Seems that there's right. some legacy there for infrared observing. Yeah, absolutely. At the L2 point. For sure. All right. Well, I think that's a good place to go for our first break. And when we come back, we're going to talk about some of the special technology that has come from the JWST. We'll be back soon. Bye. Hello there. I'm just stopping by to quickly let you know that the Queen's Observatory is always here to answer your space questions. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, and our website. Links to all of these are in the podcast description. We're always happy to talk about the universe, and if you ask a really big question, we just might have to do a podcast about it. I would also like to mention some of the other great resources out there. In the podcast description, you will find links to the McDonald Institute, the Royal Astronomical Society, and the Astronomy on Tap program. They are all excellent programs to bring the universe down to Earth. And with that, let's get back to it. And welcome back. So we've covered some of the technologies involved in getting JWST up into the Lagrange 2 point, why it is that the Lagrange 2 point is the target location and um, the, the sun shield that JWST will use to keep itself cold and get pristine infrared observations. Now we're gonna talk about some of the technologies on JWST itself, but we're going to do something a little special here. We're going to use the lens of how JWST technologies are helping us down here on Earth. So there's all sorts of neat sort of spin-off technologies that have come from the groundbreaking development of this incredible telescope. So we're going to we're going to use those to discuss the technology on JWST. Yeah. And absolutely. first up, first up is the sensor itself, the thing which will be measuring the infrared photons. So Nick, what can you tell us about the near-infrared detectors on web? Yeah, um, yeah. I think it's a, it's, this is definitely one of the advantages of doing science in, in such a niche field. Um, and, and just the byproducts of this actually going into society 
apart from actually creating beautiful images and understanding the universe as well. So yeah, the infrared sensor, um, so the ones that were developed by, uh, for JWST were done by a company called Teledyne. Connor has some affiliations to them, apparently. I, I worked for Teledyne Dalsa when during my undergrad, so yeah. that's pretty um, neat. I might have actually you, seen one of the JWST sensors. Wow, yeah. <laughs> But you didn't work on these. Oh, can you tell us what you worked on? No, I can't tell you anything <laughs> that I did there. <laughs> Good to know. <laughs> yeah, so the infrared detectors are being uh, developed by uh, Teledyne, and these are these are new generation detectors um, that have been tested out um, in other NASA missions. So Hubble has some infrared capabilities, um, and so. The early versions of the JWST sensors were actually put on Hubble and some something called the WISE telescope. Now, if you remember last year, there was a comet that we could see, which was called the NEOWISE comet. Um, it's actually, it, it was de- discovered by the WISE telescope, which stands for the Wide Field Infrared Sky Explorer. Um, and so now JWST is coming up with the next generation of these infrared sensors, which are of course going to JW with JWST, but they're also going to be used for other things, uh, which is which is things like um, weather patterns on Earth or national security missions, which I am not going to go too deep into. But yeah, it's it's cool to see the application of something that's going on JWST. Um, the, the sort of end state for technologies like this is really probably being in someone's phone. There are lots yeah, of phones absolutely. that come with infrared sensors now. Some yeah. of them even to detect your face and yeah. unlock your phone. So yeah. this is where these sorts of things start. Absolutely, yes. So yeah. So for now, um, the director, the science, the senior director at Teledyne um, said that the infrared sensors, based on the technology developed for Webb, are now universal choice for astronomical observations from space and the ground. Um, this technology is also being further used in. Uh, things like earth sciences and national security missions. So, yeah, this is cool to see. Um, I don't know what he actually means by national security missions. Um, we're not going to go in deep. He there. probably won't tell you. <laughs> yeah, uh, but it's still cool to see that that's something that's happening. So the infrared sensors themselves are really interesting and in having applications down here on Earth. The next thing, which is always fun to talk about, is lasers. So there's special lasers being used for JWST. What can you yeah. tell us about those? Um, so this, these, these are not really on JWST, these lasers, but these were used while testing for JWST. And, and the reason is because you're going to be operating in such cold environments. One of the problems with actual me- mechanics of the things actually becomes vibration. And why? Vib- and these vibrations are really, really small, but they can actually leave a signal, which is not desired for the science. And so to actually sort of understand this effect and actually combat it, new high-speed uh, lasers were actually developed, which could essentially freeze out the effect of these vibrations um, by actually heating the part a little bit. And so I feel like that's pretty cool. And now, of course, this is not something that you you only work on in JWST, you can actually apply this to a whole host of things, right? Because there's many things that actually work in cold environments. Um, Something that we just talked about, anything that has to do with infrared imaging has to be cooled down 
because otherwise the sensor is just not going to be able to pick up the signal that you're looking for. And so then the vibrations actually become a, uh, a issue there as well. And so just development of these um, special lasers that can actually freeze out these vibrations is, is very cool as well. Yeah, we don't always see the lasers that are involved in our lives, but yeah. they're everywhere. Uh, airplanes, cell phones, really just anything with a electronics chip has probably been interacted with a laser at some point. Medical industries use lasers. Oh, absolutely, yeah. Either ones you can see or behind the scenes. There's there's lots of lasers all in high technology spheres. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Now, the next one is not so much on Earth, but near Earth. Uh, there's technologies from JWST bringing back to Hubble. So what's going on there? Um, so JWST, of course, we, we, we are focusing on this these times on the cold being able to operate electronics in the cold environment. Um, and believe it or not, 400 kilometers above the, the Earth's surface, which is where Hubble Space Telescope is, is also pretty cold. And Hubble is operating there. And this is 1990s, 1980s technology that Hubble has took up there and is still working on it. And so what was interesting was these circuits or these special chips were built for JWST. Um, to be able to do their obs uh, observations, but it turns out those those chips can also be programmed to work with the Hubble Space Telescope as well, which is very easily reachable by the International Space Station. And so these chips will actually be put into Hubble to be able to for for it to continue its sort of amazing legacy that it has developed already um, in optical or visible light observations of the universe. Hubble's been having some difficulties lately, so hopefully, yeah. well, an upgrade is certainly overdue, and it's yeah. still an incredible telescope, so as long as it can keep delivering amazing science, then we'll keep fixing it, I guess. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Now, the last one, probably. The last probably and certainly my, not least. Yes, certainly not least. Probably my favorite one, but yes. All right. So, uh, the, the James Webb Space Telescope technology has sort of come down to earth in the form of laser eye surgery. So yeah. what can you what can you tell us about how that happened? Absolutely. Um, so while designing the mirrors of JWST, and these are the mirrors that will actually collect the infrared light from the universe and actually do analysis, um, they, um, the researchers actually had to put some important under new improvements into understanding how sort of light will be detected um, on the mirror itself. And so this is a special thing called wavefront sensing technology, which is essentially understanding how light is actually hitting your mirror. Um, and it turns out that that is something very, very similar or something analogous to that is mapping the shape of your eyeball when you go in for laser eye surgeries or things like that. And so currently um, these current mapping of your eye actually can take hours with lasers still, but they can take hours to actually map that out. But these new technologies that have come in can reduce the time to map your eye to like a few seconds, which, which, is, which is a huge improvement. Um, and so since these, this new technology of wavefront sensing that I mentioned before has come in from the Webb Space Telescope program, four new patents have been filed in the field of um, eye surgery to be able to actually get new equipment to map 
your eye better, which I find super fascinating. So not only is James Webb helping us see galaxies and planets better, but also just everyday items. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And and I think this is I thought this this part of, of the podcast was actually important because sometimes it can it can be hard to sort of make connections onto your day to day life on 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 these faraway things like James Webb Space Telescope or looking billions of years into the universe. And so doing a thing doing things like that, you, you, you see how technologies actually develop and, and one technology which is being used certain place doesn't necessarily mean it cannot be used anywhere else. I mean, the biggest example is the World Wide Web, right? The internet was actually developed at CERN and then took on. Um, That's the fun thing about science. Whenever you're pushing the boundaries, there's lots of things that fall into place. Yeah, and absolutely. The, these sort of four technologies we've covered are great examples of stuff that's come from a big boundary-breaking new telescope down to everyday life, helping people see better, improving yeah. technologies for cell phones, for aerospace, all sorts of... Or national security missions. Or <laughs> like redacted national security <laughs> missions. All of, yeah. all of these things get better when we, when we push the boundaries of our technology. Yeah, and that's absolutely. certainly what JWST has done. Yeah. All right. Well, I think that's a good place to close off our episode and bringing back fast radio bursts. So yeah. we'll be back with our final episode in the future mission series, talking about the dragonfly in a couple weeks. And until then, I'll see you later. Bye bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Queen's Observatory's Fast Radio Burst. We hope you enjoyed this walk through the universe. If you have any questions, don't hesitate to contact us via email at queensuobservatory at gmail.com. You can also follow us on Facebook and Twitter as the Queen's University Observatory to stay up to date. If you like this podcast, you can help us by leaving a review and sharing it with your friends. This will help us become more visible and spread the wonders of the universe to more people. That is all from us. We'll be back again with another exciting topic in astronomy.